Well, good morning, everyone. It's an absolute privilege to be up here again this morning. I love every opportunity I have to be able to share what God has been doing in my life, what he's been showing in me in my life. And it's also, for me, a great privilege to be able to follow my dear friend Josh Lott up here. I, um, I truly love Josh. He is a genuine brother in Christ. And I love so much the message that he brought last week about being a good neighbor and connecting that with the story of the Good Samaritan. And so I actually want to continue along that thread this week. I want to continue to pull out a couple more points and really just try to drive this idea of being a good neighbor and what does it mean to be a good neighbor and who is excluded. I want want to talk about that. This is a really meaningful story to myself, but also the whole of Auburn Bible Chapel, because we get to be a good neighbor to this city. Now, the story of the Good Samaritan happens along a pathway, and if you know, there's a really neat pathway that's well used right behind our church. And God has placed us here, right there, and I don't think that's by accident. I think there's a really good reason for that, and I think we can use that reason. I don't know if there's another church along the path. Well, there probably is, but people can see our church while they're walking past that, and that's actually a really neat connecting point. So let's start off with prayer, and then we will get into the message. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you have placed us here in Peterborough, here along a pathway. God, I thank you that you have called us, that you have called us to this place this morning to hear a message from you, to be reminded of our value in you, to be reminded that you have plans for us that are good, that you want to use us in this world. God, I thank you that you are here, that you speak to us, that you love us. God, we pray all this in your name. Amen. So from like a very young age, I developed a hatred toward litter. I think this came from my mom. I think she instilled this sort of thing in me. I remember when I was about four years old, we went to go visit my dad at work when he was on break, and one of the men that he was working with littered. Now, I couldn't let that slide. So I marched over to him and I said, when you throw litter on the ground, that's like throwing garbage in God's face. And so being scolded by a four-year-old, the man proceeds to pick up the garbage and, and, and probably put it in his lunchbox or something like that. If I honestly do, though, I, I hate litter. I don't understand the ignorance of it. Um, like, why do you just throw something out your window or out of your pocket or like just, just, just chill, just like you're going to be around a garbage sooner or later. Just keep it on you and then put it away. Like, keeps the world looking really beautiful and all that. My kids and I, I've, I've made them 
go out picking up garbage every, every so often we'll do that because it's like, it's there. Someone's got to do something about it. So it's, it's, a, it's a side passion of mine. I wanted to share that with you. It's a, but also, going back to when I'm working with my dad, I eventually started working for him myself. And one of my jobs, this was, this was a really nice job, is I would be the coffee getter. So I would go to Tim Hortons or McDonald's every day. And so I drive down the same roads at the same time every day. Now, I saw these two men walking, and they'd walk side by side, and each of them was holding a plastic shopping bag, which I thought was really weird. I didn't know why they did it, but I'd look at them every day when I went by. And then finally, one day, I saw one of them stoop down, pick up some garbage, and put it in their bag. This was a really significant moment for me, because I realized the power of what they were doing. They were walking anyway. They were going to be going for a walk anyway. But instead of going out unprepared and seeing garbage and thinking, oh, someone's got to do something about that, they went out, they had a little bit of purpose. They had some foresight. And they went out with a mission. We can just go and be in the world or we can go out knowing that we can make a difference, a small difference, but we can make a difference every time we go out. Now, we actually see this in the story of the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bibles, or if there's a Bible in front of you, we could turn to Luke 10, and we're going verses 25 to 37 today. Now, the story of the Good Samaritan, we see a lot of different things in it. Two of the things that I'd like to point out that we see are that he goes out with some foresight and some purpose. And secondly, is the why behind it. I believe the why behind it is because he saw the value in the man that was hurt. So Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live, but he wanted to justify himself. And we talked about this a little bit last week, meaning he was really hoping that Jesus was going to give him a green flag to say, but you have an excuse or a reason to not love certain people. He was hoping for that. But he was wanting to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, now that's significant when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road. When he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Another significant moment there. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, a denarii being about a day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you and pay for any extra expenses you may have. That was the story Jesus shared. Then he asked the man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? I can just picture the expert in the law being all whiny about it and saying, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So this man wants to justify excluding people. And so Jesus brings up this story of a priest and a Levite who are supposed to be really helpful and kind and loving people, exclude someone who was one of their own. It's implied that the man in the story is Jewish. And then you have a Gentile, essentially a sworn enemy of this person, and they bring them in. Remember what Josh said last week? Be the person that they least suspect. It's the person that they least suspected that was helpful. And so it was the one that had mercy. It was the one that had compassion. And that's what Jesus was looking for. So I think another way that we need to have another look is to understand the historical and geographical implications of this. So I said it was significant that it was from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now there's a path that leads through there. And it has a lot of twists and turns and bushes and cliffs. And one of the things that this allows for is ambushes. So this was actually a very dangerous stretch of road. Believe it or not, it had a nickname. The nickname for the stretch of road was called the Way of Blood because it was so known for being a dangerous place. It was so known for being uh, a place where you wouldn't want to bring your kids, that you would want to have almost like an armed guard if you were bringing something of significance. So this is, this is the question that, I'm bring, that I want to bring forth is, do we believe that it's an accident that the Good Samaritan had bandages, oil, and wine on him? What if it wasn't? What if the Good Samaritan went out there on purpose? What if he knew that that was a very dangerous stretch of road? And so when he went out, he went prepared. He had some foresight. He thought about it ahead of time, deciding, what if someone needs my help? What if someone gets hurt? What can I do to be ready? What can I do to be ready? So he goes and he, not only does he have bandages on him, which is remarkable, but he has oil and wine to soothe the pain, to soothe the skin. He essentially has a first century first aid kit on him 
This isn't by accident. He went out with purpose. He went out ready. He put some foresight into this. When we go out in the world, we can just go out and sometimes that's fine. But what happens if we were to go out expecting that God wants to use us? Understanding that God wants to use you wherever it is that you're going in being a minister of reconciliation. And, and I want to encourage you in this too. If this is something that's new to you, you don't have to start off by saving someone's life and taking them to it. Start off with something small. Anytime you're going to start something new, I want to encourage you to start small and, and see how God uses you in these moments. Now, there are lots of different ways that we can do this. I think, I think the key word is foresight. It's to think ahead. Now, Brian, who was here, is he still in here? No? Okay. Brian, he said this line the other week that really just stuck with me. It was a prayer. And before he goes out, he'll pray this prayer. Lord, help me to be at the right place at the right time. As in, I want to be used by you. And what happens when you pray a prayer of foresight like that is you, you keep your antenna up and you're ready. You're ready for what comes your way. And when someone is in need, you understand that you are the person that God has appointed to be used in that moment. Uh, there are lots of other ways that we can do that as well. Uh, I heard a story of a lady in this church would go around before before church on a Sunday morning with muffins. And she would give muffins to people and encourage them to come to church. That is a way of foresight. It's thought ahead, and it's a way to be used by God for the kingdom. Uh, another way is to just leave five minutes early for wherever you're going so that you understand, I have a five minute, I have a 10 minute, I have an hour and a half, whatever it is that you want to do. I have this buffer. This is time that I want to be used by God. If you're having people over, you can just do a little detail, just a small little detail to make them feel special. We're having some friends over, it's their birthday, and so Chantel thought, you know what, I'm just gonna write on the chalkboard, happy birthday, the person's name. It's just a small little detail, but it's foresight. It's thinking ahead of how can you bless someone? How can you make someone feel valued? How can you make someone feel encouraged? Uh, another thing that I think is, is really great is to, is to know the three circles. Now, we'll talk more about the three circles in the future, but have a way to be able to share the gospel a very simple conversation that you can, a question that you can ask is, has anyone ever explained the gospel to you? If, you? if you bless someone or you show someone kindness or generosity, to ask them, has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? You'd be surprised how many people have never had the gospel shared with them. The next question is, would it be okay if I shared it with you? You'd be surprised how many people would say yes. And if they say no, they said no. That's okay. We just go on with our day. These are some ways that we can go out with readiness 
and with purpose. Now, I think anytime we talk about a what, we have to also address the why. You see, in verse 33, it kind of gives a why. When the Good Samaritan saw him, it said he took pity on him. Now, literally, what that means is that he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. He had compassion for the person. I think he saw value in the man that was bloodied. Now, the word compassion is not necessarily a fun word. Do you know what it means? It means to suffer with. It's going to cost you something. If you choose to have compassion, it's going to cost you. So if it's going to cost you, why would you bother? Josh mentioned last week that the priest and the Levite, they realized it was going to cost them something. If they were to have touched that man, it would have made them ceremonially unclean. And if they were made ceremonially unclean, they'd have to go through the whole cleansing process. So they realized it was going to cost them something, and they decided not to. The Good Samaritan, however, knew it was going to cost him something, but I think he saw the value of that person. When we're talking about value, one of the things that comes to my mind is, it's a story that's shared in the book The Mud and the Masterpiece by John Burke, and it's a story that's really transformed my thinking on myself and the world around me. And the story goes something like this. They're in St. Petersburg at the Hermitage Museum. And one of the things is there is Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. So the story of the prodigal son is where two sons go off, the younger spoils everything, and then when the father sees the son again, he is moved with compassion and he goes running after him and embraces him. Now, imagine you leave the Hermitage Museum after that, and you're walking past a trash can, like a a big dumpster, and in there, you see something that looks familiar. And it's hard to place your finger on it, but but you recognize it. It's a piece of art, except for it's been muddied. It's been battered. You wouldn't have recognized it at all except for you see the hand of the father on the rugged shoulder of the son. So you go closer and sure enough, this is the painting. This is the painting of the prodigal son. This is a masterpiece. Now here you stand at a crossroads. What do you do? There's a masterpiece before you, but... It's been muddied. It's been damaged. It doesn't look like what it used to look like. The, the condition has changed. So what do you do? Do you recognize the masterpiece for the masterpiece that it is? Or do you get caught up with the mud and you let it stay there? I think what you would do is is you would take that masterpiece and you would bring it 
to a restorer, to a great restorer. Ephesians 2.10, which was read for us earlier, thank you, says that you are God's handiwork. Another translation of that is that you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. This is a truth that when it is grasped, changes, changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way that you see the world around you. When you see the drug addict downtown, if you can see him as a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, when you see the millionaire playboy or whoever it might be, and you don't see them for their sins or what it might, whatever the appearance might be, but you see underneath all that to the masterpiece that has been created in Christ Jesus. It changes the way that you see them. Now, I said earlier that I, I believed I could, I believe I knew why the Good Samaritan did it, and it was because he saw the value in the man. Now, the reason I think that is not because I know the Good Samaritan so well. The reason is because I know the storyteller. It's because I know the heart of Jesus. When Jesus came, what did he do? Who did he hang around with? He hung around with people of disrepute, didn't he? the people that didn't have a great reputation. Now, why? Why would they spend time with him? Why did they want to be around him? Do we think it was because he was making them feel bad, pointing out their sin? Do you think he was because he was guilting them? I think it was because he was pointing out their value. You see, transformation doesn't come from guilt and shame. People are transformed when they understand that there is a treasure inside of them, that they are a masterpiece, and that's who they truly are. And we can continually point out that masterpiece that is within them, that they are the promises of Christ. That is who they truly are. We can sometimes get caught up with mud management, right? Seeing the mud, and that's the most obvious and prominent thing. But when we look beneath that, when we look deeper in, and we see the masterpiece that God has created them to be, and and maybe we need to back up more than this. When you can look in the mirror, and you can see that there is a masterpiece in there created by Christ Jesus, that God has created you, you, to be a masterpiece. That changes the way you see yourself. And then you can understand that he made other people to be that way. Then you can go out with, with some foresight and, and love on people. One of my favorite stories, and maybe I've already brought it up, but is the story of Luke 7, of the, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Now, why 
did that woman come to him? Now, I think it's because of the way that Jesus would look at her or the way that he looked at other people. When, you see, the eyes really show people something. People know what you're thinking about them by your eyes. Are you just like looking around? Are you waiting to go, be anywhere else in the world except for that spot? Or do you look at them as though they're valuable? Brent said a couple weeks ago, what you think about how someone else thinks about you will determine how you think about them. It's kind of a mouthful, but it makes a lot of sense. And people are really good at perceiving this. If you look at them with love and you feel that they're valuable, people pick up on that. And like I said, when you want to be anywhere else in the world except for where you are right now, people pick up on that. Where you look and how you look, they have... They can have such an impact on someone. It's a simple thing, but that simple thing can have a massive impact. So, why are we here? We, Auburn Bible Chapel, why are we here? We're, yeah, Nat, you can start walking around. Yeah, Nat, yeah, just start walking. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, why are we here at this building, at this place? It's because God wants to use us where we're at, and it can be on the pathway. It can be in our homes. Wherever we are, if we go out with purpose, if we go out knowing that God wants to use us, it can make a massive difference. So, one person who is very good and showing people their value, at looking at people, and, and not looking at the mud that's on top, but looking at the masterpiece beneath, is, is my friend Natalie. And Natalie is a congregant here, and she also helps run the, does a lot of the running, of the Living Waters um, Community Church? W community? I think so. I, missional, it's missional, missional Church. Living Waters Missional Church. And so Natalie's going to come up and share some stories of God's faithfulness and how God has been moving in their midst. Natalie, come on up. Sorry, I got caught in the middle of a stretch, and I was like, what, we're talking to me? Okay, great. Um, so, hey, uh, so actually, if you've been a part of Women in the Word, um, I've been sharing some pretty wild stories about what God has been doing at Living Waters Missional Church. So if you haven't been a part of that, the, you may not have heard some of them. So we're going to just share a little bit about what's been going on, uh, what the mindset of the church is. We're actually a missional church. Um, so there was just a recognition, like, 
when sometimes when you bring certain individuals into a regular church, they can be pretty loud and it can be a little bit disruptive, that kind of stuff. And it's it, and it and it was something where I recognized that there was a need for those individuals to be like that. Like um, there was a need because they were like because they're naturally kind of like that. And in my mind, I was like like there were like I volunteered at a place called uh, the Bridge Youth Center. And we were like, we need a space for those people to be able to be who they are, where they can actually just be that person and um, like hear the word of God and be able to receive it as sort of who they are, which is not a like, slight on a lot of churches at all. Um, but I just had this prayer in my heart, and I had this um, desire to have a church where it was like that guy's sleeping on the couch, on the couch over there. That guy's over there being loud because he's like because that's just where his headspace is. This person's over here doing. That was where my heart, my mind was, and someone else had that same heart. So we are actually a missional church. Um, we are on the corner block of Bethune at four o'clock on Sundays, and we do what we do is we serve food first, and then we kind of we do a service. So it's like feed the body, feed the soul. Um, when we first started, it was actually out of a uh, desire for one pastor from the Presbyterian Church that we we, we connected with him, and he's like, he's like, how do we give these people church? So like, he actually started. His name's Jonathan Baird. He's not doing well. I've been kind of interming for him, and he's hoping to come back in October so we can be in prayer about that. Um, and we just wanted to like, and Auburn's been a huge supporter of this. And I wanted, I wanted to say that you guys, the ladies at Women in the Word, have been like giving food to it, have been like uh, preparing the meals, and we actually just are doing these testimonies as a thank you to you guys for how you guys have um, have uh, like come alongside us with this. So one of the testimonies that I wanted to share that's kind of come out of this, um, there was a girl who came in who was just constantly like um she was constantly high she never actually she didn't ever seem like she was paying attention um and she uh came in the one day in january and she said i want to rededicate my life to christ and uh i was like okay so so we did that and as time progressed um, she actually wound up getting baptized later, and we baptized her, and it was like suddenly she just went on this spiral, and, we're, and I was floored by this. Um, she showed, told me I could share this story, so I was floored by this, and I was like, the spiral just kept happening, and then one of the concepts that I've been preaching about that I actually got totally humbled by with this girl, I, I say sometimes what's happening on the inside isn't what's showing on the outside. So if this individual has like has in the past done stealing and this and this and this and this and they cut and they come to know Jesus and they cut four out of five of those out there's been a redemption work in their heart Amen. but what might be showing is what they're still struggling with and so this girl was like she was going she was uh, doing some of the stuff that we had actually seen and one day I just said look let's meet at Tim's I want to talk to you about what's going on why you're still doing this so I sat down with her at Tim's and she said Natalie yeah so I've I won't mention names, but she said, I've continued with this addiction, but it's less and less and less. And she's like, and since I got baptized, I've not had a suicidal thought. She's like, and I have not self-harmed. 
And she's like, it's been five months, and God has just been growing and growing. She's like, and I have a vision of, like, this. She's like, maybe you can tell me about it. I had the vision of this, like, vine with grapes on it, this tree with grapes on it. And it's like, and she said, and the vision was, like, that, that the roots were starting to grow, and the fruit was starting to grow, but I had the vine. And she's like, I think it's that I got Jesus, and I never had roots in him, and the fruit is starting to grow, but it's not really being shown right now. And I was like, okay, that, so let's talk about the vine and the branches. And she was just like, and I was like, whoa. And I said, girl, you just humbled me because God just showed me that what I was seeing on the outside wasn't what was happening on the inside. And I'm so sorry. And she was like, okay. So she's, she's still coming and she's actually been like, she's, she's been sharing about her progress and that's amazing. Another lady who got baptized we, this, this girl actually brought this lady. So she was the one that rededicated her life to Christ. And since she rededicated her life to Christ, she had not, not had suicidal thoughts. So she brought this lady and said, she wants to get baptized. And sometimes I get hesitant when I don't know you. And I'm like, I'm like okay, that's, that's great. You want to get baptized? Let's walk you through it. Let's make sure that you know what you're, what, what's going on with baptism. So like, I, we walked her through it. And she's like, yeah, I wanted to get baptized all my life. Let's do this. Um, so... We, we baptized her, and I, and I felt God leading. I was like, is there anything that you want to pray about before you get baptized that you would just like to see changed in your life? And she um, said to me, she's like, reconciliation with my family. She's like, I was a really bad mother. I got into addictions hard. And she's like, and I really couldn't actually like, be, be a parent to my children. And I want that reconciliation to happen. So we prayed in that moment. And I said, and I said, you know what? God's going to do a work with this. And I said, so let's pray. And we prayed for reconciliation with with her family, with her children, because she had rededicated her life to Christ and had experienced a change in her heart. She wanted them to know Jesus. So we prayed for that. Um, as she was standing in the water, we just prayed around her. I think it was, or it was just before, if it wasn't then, and. Like she got baptized. Twenty minutes later, her daughter texted her. As I was, as as some other stuff was happening. Twenty minutes later, her daughter texted her with a picture of her granddaughter, who had said, "You will never see your granddaughter because of who you were." And her daughter had no idea that she was getting baptized, and had had no idea that she had rededicated her life to Christ. And her story is. Two weeks later, after she got baptized, she was actually in a women's shelter due to some other things, and she said. And she was actually speaking to people about this Jesus and this renewal that had happened in her life. And she was like, and people were asking her questions. Two weeks later, her oldest son called her and said, Mom, I'd like to reconnect with you. Um, I don't know what's going on with me, but I feel like something is changing. And he didn't know. And she said, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what he's been doing in my life. I'm not going to (laughs) cry. All right. So she, so... So then she spoke to him about Jesus, spoke to him about this church on the corner of Brock and Bethune. Um, and he, he, was, he followed his mom's path heavy into addictions. And he said, okay, I want to come to this church. We did a Father's Day outreach, um, which um, the, some, of you guys, some, of you, some of the late, some of you guys had given money to. We did a Father's Day outreach where we did the video Courageous. And that impacted so many of the guys. And they just said, thank you, thank you. And as he was sitting there, he's like, my dad, he's like, I, I felt led to pray to restore the image of father for him, and that just floored him, and that God was a good father. 
And at that moment, he dedicated his life to Christ, her son. She said, and her prayer was, I want them to come to know Jesus. That was four weeks after she was baptized. Um, and he actually can't, got, like, was floored, was rocked by the Spirit. He, he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, and then said next week, and he just felt in his heart, he's like, I want to get baptized. So we actually wound up baptizing him in Inverley Park. And since then, he has been drug and addiction free. Right in that four weeks, like two generations. And then two weeks later, she tells me, she's like, hey, listen, my youngest son wants to come. And he had been like, he had been like, uh, um, uh, he had been like, hearing about what his older brother was doing, and his older brother started talking to him about Jesus. And she said, can, can I bring my youngest son? I was like, listen, we have a rough crowd. We have people, we had one lady coming in that, that may not have had, that wasn't fully clothed all the time. Like, we asked, like, anybody can come here. We, we had that, we're a missional church, just come on in. Doesn't, and every church is like that, but, but like, like, yeah, obviously, come on in. So he came, and we were doing the message of Peter, the concept of, like, Peter won the lottery, and he says, get to Jesus, get to Jesus himself, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. He's saying that to God himself. Now, there's a, there's a recognition probably of the reverence and the sin that he had had, and that, that's, that's understandable. But, uh, but I was like, guys, you win the lottery, you get excited, right? You're, it doesn't matter how sinful you are, even if you think it's from God, you're going to be like, cash this ticket, even if it's $200, I got $200 from a $5 ticket. Um, Peter didn't even pay for anything. He wins his rent uh, for like a long time. How sinful do you have to be how, how to say, get away from me? Even if you recognize that you're in the presence of God. And that floored this young guy. We played a bit of that episode from The Chosen where, where they showed that scene. And he said, I need this in my life. And he dedicated his life to Jesus. And the next Sunday, he wanted to be baptized. Um, so, like, literally, these three people in the process of six weeks, like, and their addiction's free right now. Um, the one, the one girl, the first girl I talked about is, like, like, she's about a couple of weeks without anything. So that's amazing as well. And we're still coming alongside her. We have another gentleman who like wound up joining us, and he wound up joining the Bible study that Enrico does. These are two. These are two of my core group crew. Um, this isn't possible without them. And they just decided to come and, and just be like they, they've been on fire for. Uh, Enrico's been on fire for this for a few months, and he's been coming. He can play pretty much any instrument you put in his hand. So, and it was just wild to see a lot of the growth of my core group through this, a lot of the growth, like I'm a firm believer that God does not call the qualified, he, call, he qualifies the called. Absolutely. So sometimes he leads me to people that are like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, me either. Great, let's go. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so those are just a couple of the stories that you guys have been supporting, and I just wanted to share those as like, as like, Thank you for like helping mm-hmm. to recognize it's it's the work on the inside, not what we see on the outside all the time. And just like um, we're 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 believing for more. Thank you. And, sorry, I was so, yeah. You mentioned the video, right? Yeah. So if you guys want the lady that actually uh, did the prayer for her children, she gave permission to show the video anywhere where we're kind of sort of saying a thank you or doing something. So on this video, there's uh, this video compilation. We're gonna play it. After, when you guys are dismissed, if you want to stick around, it's, you guys can decide to stick around. Um, and, and it might be wind up being on Enrico's laptop if we, if we and gathering around that. Um, 
but like she gave, and it's actually her baptism and this this first girl baptism that I talked about, and then it's her son's baptisms right back to back. And the gentleman in the Bible study that came to know Jesus, he said he gave permission to show his baptism, show the pictures of his baptism yeah. as well. So it's just a video compilation of the work that God's been doing with that. Amen. Okay. Thank you so much, Nat. Let's give God a hand for what He's been doing. That's beautiful, eh? I, I hope that touches your heart. I hope that warms you. I hope that encourages you of seeing what happens when God enters someone's life. When there is freedom in Christ, there is hope that is found in Christ. Sometimes it, it, it's going to cost you something. I'm sure not all of these moments are comfortable. <laughs> It's going to cost you something, but it's so worth it. These are people's lives. These are people's eternities that we're, we're talking about here. I pray that you can understand the value that is in yourself, that the value is in the people around you. I hope that you can go out feeling prepared, ready to do God's work, ready to do God's will, ready to partner with him in what he is doing in this city. I promise you, God is alive and well, and he is doing amazing and impossible things in this city. When we get to partner with him, it is so exciting and so fulfilling. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you. Thank you for how you move in our midst. Thank you for the love and the value that you have placed on each and every one of us. And thank you for how you're, you're moving at, at Living Waters Missional Church as well. God, would you move within our hearts to show us one way or one person we can bless this week? Thank you, Lord, that you would choose to use someone like me. I'm reminded of the quote, even broken crayons color beautifully. God, you can use any one of us, and and you are pleased to do so. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.